Good morning, Abbey Church. How are you? That's good. I have a little bit of a sniffle. I do apologize if I sneeze or cough over you this morning. I know many of you have been suffering. I thought I'd got away with it. Apparently not. <laughs> so there we go. I don't know who gave it to me, but many thanks and blessings if it was one of you. <laughs> Hot topic this morning. You will need your Bible. Phil's already, as ever, faithfully on standby. If you wish to borrow a church Bible, then please raise your hand right now. And uh, let me just, by way of introduction, uh, just read these uh, thoughts. In January 2009, a poll showed that more than four out of five churchgoers, in fact 84%, think that religion, religious, freedoms of, uh, religious freedoms of speech and action are at risk in the UK. A similar proportion, 82%, feel it is becoming more difficult to live as a Christian in an increasingly secular society. The growing sense of intolerance felt by Christians is made all the worse when we face hostility in the name of equality and diversity. Christians wonder why they're not being treated equally and why diversity does not include them. They feel that a hierarchy of rights has sprung up which leaves them bottom of the pile. This has led to a growing feeling that equality and diversity is code for the marginalization of Christian belief. That's um, a quote from an article from Christian Concern. Um, I'm just going to read one or two case studies, or at least highlight one or two case studies that they raised. Now, if you, if you want to follow this up, we haven't got enough time to cover this subject in its entirety. In fact, even a month of Sundays wouldn't give us enough time to cover this subject in its entirety. But I do encourage you, if you want to follow this up further, there are some superb articles on Christian Concerns website. I can give you the details of that afterwards. And this are just some of the snippets from a 70-plus page document that just list all the cases that they've dealt with in the last five or six years. So in July 2008, two schoolboys from Stoke-on-Trent were punished by their comprehensive school teacher for refusing to pray to Allah as part of their RE lesson. January 2009, a five-year-old girl is reprimanded in Devon and ends up in tears as her teacher says that she is not allowed to discuss her faith at school. March 2009, a group of Christian and Muslim parents wanted to keep their children from the controversial lessons about homosexuality were reportedly facing legal action by the council involved. 2005, a group of Christian Year 9 girls at school on Stoke, in Stoke Newington were forced to remain in an LGBT History Month assembly despite their parents' wishes that they should not attend. February 2008, a police and community support officer, I love this, told two church workers in Birmingham that you can't preach here because it's a Muslim area. <laughs> February 2009, it emerged that Christian foster carer had been struck off the foster carer register because she'd allowed the 16-year-old Muslim girl in her care to convert to Christianity. Although the carer had made it clear to the girl when she arrived that she could continue to practice her Muslim faith, 
if she wanted to, the girl wanted to explore Christianity and eventually asked to be baptized. When diversity rules are used to justify things like suspending a nurse who offered to pray for a patient's recovery, we start to feel a little bit got at, don't we? And the list goes on and on. Just to pick up on one or two more recent cases. The Ashes Bakery. It all started with a cake. You know the story. It's recently gone to the High Court and um, the decision against them has been upheld. Do you remember this lady? This is Nadia Uida, I think you uh, pronounce her surname. She's the BA employee that was suspended from employment because she simply wanted to wear a cross at work. BA have since backed down and employees are allowed to wear crosses at work. How about this couple? This is Peter and Hazemarie Bull. A same-sex couple um, sued Mr. and Mrs. Bull because in their B&B they would, not, they would only allow married couple to share a double bed. Note this, the Bulls based their policy upon their Christian beliefs about marriage and applied it equally to heterosexuals and homosexuals. And yet, the courts found against them. We live in a tough world. We seem to be forever in a secular society finding more and more boundaries that we're hitting. There is some encouragement, some people in authority. Let me read this. Faith isn't an optional extra or something you put on like a hat on Sundays and take off for the rest of the week. It goes through you like writing on a stick of rock. It is reflected in what you are and what you do. That was the Eternal, Attorney General and Labour Peer, Baroness Scotland. The Archbishop of York, back in 2009, said this, Dr. John Centenary, asking someone to leave their belief in God at the door of their workplace is akin to asking them to remove their skin colour before coming into the office. Faith in God is not an add-on or an optional extra. For me, my trust in God is part of my DNA. It is central to who I am and defines my place in the world. Amen. We must pray and support those in authority and those that have a voice, I think, when they uh, do that. So how do we cover this? Where on earth do we start? Well, let me tell you the problem. The problem is this. The problem is the Bible. It's also, of course, the solution. In the Bible, the Bible is described as the sword of truth. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians 6. The problem is, it seems to offend people. But the problem is, we need to share the good news that it contains. Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The danger is not to share. We feel sometimes that maybe we shouldn't share the gospel in case it offends somebody. 
Interestingly, I found this. BBC presenter Jimmy Vi- uh, Jeremy Vine told Reform magazine that he believes Christ... He be- sorry. He believes that Christ is who he says he is, but he doesn't think he could say that on his show. The Radio 2 host and also the TV... Um, uh, who fronts the TV sh- uh, shows Panorama and Points of View, said, society is becoming increasingly intolerant of Christian views. And I must admit, sometimes we might shy away from sharing our faith or be a little bit cautious because the world around us seems to be against us. But it is the sort of truth and we need to use it, and we need to use it with care. I have three things for us to consider this morning. Firstly this, telling the truth. Secondly, sorry, firstly this, maintaining the truth. Secondly, telling the truth. And thirdly, in the spirit of the truth. So let's just start off uh, with maintaining the truth. And grab your Bibles. We're going to read some of it now from John's second letter to John. If you've got a church Bible, it's what page 1,229. We're going to read the whole book. It's not very big. It's one half of a page in my Bible. Okay, let's start reading. The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children. By the way, Um, Most people, with a few exceptions, believe what we're talking about here is when they say to the lady chosen by God, we're talking to the church, okay, in the same way as the church is the bride of Christ. To the lady chosen by God and to her children in whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth which lives in us will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ The Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as your Father commanded us. Let's just pause there for a moment. Um, In case you hadn't spotted, this passage is about one thing. Truth. Six times in that introduction, the word truth appears. Let's continue. And now, dear lady, I am not writing to you a new command, but one that we've had from the very beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is a love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. That's possibly another church sending their greetings on. So let's look at this passage and and understand 
what this truth is and how we are going to, to maintain it. In our society, we're often urged, of course, to be tolerant. The problem, of course, with that is it's, it gives us two issues. Firstly, it's too broad. Uh, in society, being tolerant, are we going to be tolerant of criminals and criminal activities? Well, no, no. Secondly, it's too narrow. I, I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be loved. And in this passage, we have this revealing of both truth and love and how those two things sit, contrary to our society. Because the passage is being written to, it's a letter being written to a church. And there is a danger in church and Christian circles that we can get sometimes a little bit lost in what that really means, holding on to the truth and love of the gospel. And there are warnings in this passage. Warnings about the gospel truth. It seems that there are some first century teachers that have not only held the views that went against the truth of the gospel, but they have actively encouraged others to follow their advanced teaching in verses 7 to 9. It's a key reminder for us that the truth about Jesus laid out in the gospels does not need to be evolved into our modern day society it is complete it is sufficient as it is this is why john exalts these christians to remember jesus original command in verses five and six of this passage false teaching was coming in so he gives us practical suggestion to limit the spread of this false teaching by not offering offering christian hospitality to the preachers who were traveling to give their message basically do not give pulpit time to these people if you do not agree with the message and it does not align up with the Gospels that you know. John is not advocating rudeness. We can listen to different views respectfully, but we should not promote false teaching or allow it to go unchallenged. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. Romans 12, verse 2. So do you get from this passage that we need to, as church, firstly, maintain the truth? We need to watch out for false doctrine and false teachings. The second thing we need to do is we need to tell the truth. There is no point us being a church that understands the message of the gospel and individuals that go about our daily lives throughout the week without telling people about this exciting thing. Jesus came to save. We're about to come into a, a period of Christmas. Matthew one twenty one. he came to save them from their sins. Luke 2.11, Jesus was born as a saviour. In a society where there was one council, I can't remember where it is now, that was putting the lights up in August. So as to make them kind of multi-faith. They were the Christmas lights, they had angels on them and everything else. But this was so that we could deal with all of the different religions that were in the town. No. We have an opportunity at Christmas to share our faith. 
Jesus came to save, and this is our business too. Now, there's a danger, I think, that we can sometimes devote ourselves to the feeding of the hungry and the clothing of the naked and so forth, and sometimes we think that we have fulfilled our assignment. We're not even close. Now, don't get me wrong, we're doing fruitfulness on the front lines at the moment, and the, the sections in there, if you're, you're doing this as part of your community group, modeling godly character, making good work, ministering grace and love, uh, molding culture, mouthpiece for truth and justice, they're all good things. But let's not forget the last thing, messenger of the gospel. All of those things before that, are good things to do because it allows us to build relationships to people and allows us to speak into their lives. But unless we actually do the speaking point, we fail people. We give them bread and keep silent about the Savior who can meet their true needs, fill their deepest hunger, heal their greatest hurts. People need to know that sin separates us from God. Sin. Wow, I've mentioned that word. People don't like it today. I don't know why. The fact is, I sin. You sin. Everybody sins. And without Jesus, we have no hope. I was interested in... um, Rebecca's doing a a sociology A-level course at the moment, and she had to do a survey. And one of the questions was, do you believe in a heaven or an afterlife? 100% of the people she surveyed said yes. Problem is they think they can get there just by being good. And we need to tell people that actually, no, we can't. There's a couple of people whose names, a couple of Americans whose names keep coming up in my conversation this week. One's Donald Trump. I won't mention him. The other's Billy Graham. And for those of you who know what I do, you'd understand that. Billy Graham was once asked, I'm just going to read this article because he says it much better than I can. He was once asked, what is the definition of sin? And he gave the following answer. A sin is any thought or action that falls short of God's will. God is perfect and anything we do that falls short of his perfection is sin. The Bible actually uses a number of examples or word pictures to illustrate what this means. For example, it tells us that sin is like an archer who misses the target. He draws back his bow and sends the arrow on its way, but instead of hitting the bullseye, It veers off course and misses the mark. The arrow may only miss a little bit, or it may miss a great deal. But the result is the same. The arrow doesn't land where it is supposed to. The same is true of sin. God's will is like the center of that target, and when we sin, we fall short of his will or miss the mark. And this is something that we do every day. As the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23, by the way. Even when we weren't aware of it, we commit sins by the things that we do or fail to do, or even by the way we think. This is why we need Christ, for only he can forgive all of our sins, and only he can help us live the way we should. We cannot forgive ourselves. Nor can we change our hearts and make ourselves better in God's eyes. That got me to thinking that, um, yes, we've all sinned. Now, there are certain sins that seem to come up to the surface when we start talking to society. There are a number of 
groups in our society that tend to be against us perhaps more than others. And you might be uh, wondering, well, are there worse sins? I mean, is there like a category of big bad sins and little sins? The point is all sin is a sin. He was asked, this is Billy Graham again, are all sins equal in God's eyes? And this was his answer. It is always difficult and dangerous to attempt to list sins according to their degree of seriousness. In one sense, all sins are equal and they all separate us from God. The Bible's statement for the wages of sin of death applies to all sin, whether in thought, word, or deed. But at the same time, it is obvious that some sins are worse than others in both motivation and their effect and should be judged accordingly. Stealing a loaf of bread is vastly different from exterminating a million people. Sins may also differ at their root. Theologians have sought for centuries to determine what the essence of sin is. Some have chosen sensuality, others selfishness, and still others pride or unbelief. In the Old Testament, God applied different penalties to different sins, suggesting variations in the seriousness of some sins. The thief paid uh, restitution and a, a cult practitioner was cut off from Israel. One who committed adultery or homosexual act or cursed his parents was put to death. Find all of those in Exodus 22 or Leviticus 20. In the New Testament, Jesus said it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for Capernaum because of Capernaum's unbelief and refusal to repent after witnessing his miracles. It's Matthew 11. The sins of Sodom were identified in Ezekiel 16 as arrogance, gluttony, indifference to the poor and needy, haughtiness and detestable things. When Jesus spoke of his second coming and judgment, he warned that among those deserving of punishment, some would be beaten with many blows and others with few bows. He also reserved his most fierce denunciations to the pride and unbelief of the religious leaders. Not the sexual immoral, However, he says, remember that whatever our sins are relatively small or great, they will place us in hell apart from God's grace. The good news is that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and the sins of the whole world at the cross. If we will repent and turn to Jesus in faith, our sins will be forgiven and we will receive the gift of eternal life. We need to tell people that. We need to tell the truth. We cannot hide away from it. We need to also be very clear in how we say things. Sometimes we say things a little out of context. Yeah, we, God loves the sinner, but he doesn't love the sin. Yes, that's true, but that can be taken somehow the wrong way sometimes. We need to share the whole gospel of truth. Many people think that being a Christian is all about keeping the rules. Whereas the object is the obedience to the Lord. And we need to share that in our lives. We need to share that in the way we act. We need to share that in the way we do so that we get the opportunity to speak the truth. And that we back that up by the way that we live. Thirdly and lastly, we need to do so in the spirit of the truth. 
Do you know, Jesus said this wouldn't be easy. He told us to be expected to be treated badly. As God's people, we sometimes expect to be loved and appreciated by those whom we minister to and get upset maybe by their hostility and wonder, why are they treating us this way? What's going on? All I was doing was helping and blessing. Where is God? What's wrong? Jesus said, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who killed you will think they're offering a service to God. John 16, 2. He warns us in Matthew 10, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard, for you will be hated over the um, over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On my account you will be brought before the governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry what you say or how you say it. At that time you will be given what to say. For it would not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child Children will rebel against their parents who have put them to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But this one who stands firm to the end, the one who stands firm to the end, will be saved. That was in Matthew 10. So we shouldn't be surprised when we, we come across hostility. Jesus knew this would happen. This is why he says, I am leaving you a helper. Let me share some verses as we close. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because neither sees nor know him. When Jesus left this earth to go and sit on the throne, he left behind the Holy Spirit to help us. For the Spirit of God, the, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And lastly this. See, the Spirit of God is so important in our daily lives. Sorry, the font's a little small on this one. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Read that again. Do not quench the Spirit. Boy, there's a whole sermon in those words alone. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. 
Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So, Abbey Church, we need to maintain the truth. We need to test what is being taught. We need to do so while telling the truth to those around us. And what ties it together is the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. He is the one who can help us test. He's the one who will give us courage. And he is the one that will give us words to say when we're put on trial. And let's expect that to happen. Amen.